0: Might as well go fuck a lumber camp. Welcome to the
1: Queendom. Your host, Lauren Morticini. Hello, Queendom Army. What the fuck is up? Welcome to Queendom Thursday. This is a sacred day and I've just gotta say, I've got some candles lit right now and it must be this full moon energy. Oh my God, I think I just realized that my period is aligned with the moon. Wow. Anyways, that just came to me. Back to the point, you know, I'm wearing this like dress that could be like hobgoblin-ish, but I've got it like tied up where I feel like kind of cute. And it would seem as though I am right now, but if anybody could smell me, it'd be a different story. But that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about today is my friend Katie has come on the show to talk about her experiences as a woman who grew up in Kansas in the 90s during the movement of true love weights, purity culture, purity balls when all of that shit really became mainstream. And the thing is, is I have always been really intrigued and fascinated by the fact that everyone has these different stories. Everyone has, everyone you see has these different experiences and shit that they've dealt with. And to me, that's what the Queendom is about, is highlighting these different experiences because that is what makes life colorful it's what the different opinions and the different layers and the opposites is where we find so much beauty and so this is my friend katie's experience and the thing is is i've had my own experiences and i have my own opinions and so i don't feel as though i need to justify or preface but i do want to say this if You are a person who finds yourself in a church or a religious community, and you have had an overall positive experience, or you are in that space now and it's a part of your life. I would really love to hear from you. I would love to hear your story and your perspective. And only if, (laughs) especially if you can come to me in a way that we can have an insightful and Beneficial conversation for the both of us. I think there has to be a a foundation of a commitment to learning and a commitment to hearing other people. And that's what I want to do. So yeah, I would love to hear your stories, whatever they look like. This is about learning for me. I've certainly learned so much and I really appreciate the people who have shared so far. I've just gained so much from this experience thus far. So, with that, I'm going to introduce my friend Katie, and yeah, let's get to it. All right, I am here with my friend Katie Guyton, and Katie grew up in Kansas, and in the 90s was in her teens, 20s and was really at the heart of the True Love Waits movement when the purity culture went really mainstream. Um, She grew up in the church, a very heavily religious uh, community. Her family was religious. She was a part of youth group. And it has really set a stage for the course of of your life and she has a really fascinating story and so she's here today to talk about that to talk about the impacts the effects and kind of where she's at now so say hello hi happy to have you
0: thank you happy to be here
1: yeah so i guess let's just start with your background okay. growing up in kansas yeah. and having you told me that you know the church was your main social life mm-hmm. so what was, what
0: was that like? Um, well, I'm from far western Kansas. Um, if you draw a straight line between Kansas City and Denver, I'm right in the middle. So mm-hmm. people talk about Sacramento being like a ghetto armpit. I'm like, you've never actually lived anywhere. <laughs> do, people, do people call Sacramento a ghetto oh, yeah, armpit? Yeah, they do. I hear people slagging <laughs> on Sacramento all the time. I'm like, you have not traveled, my friend. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Um, so yeah, I uh, grew up there. in the. I mean, I was born in Kansas. I lived there until I was about... 25, 26. And then that's when I went to college. And yeah, but that was, you know, very middle American Christian Protestant upbringing. It was the beginning of, like you said, the true love waves, purity culture, abstinence education. And the thing that makes it kind of interesting is like that was when I was starting to like get into like the public schools. If you hear people talking about these people came to our school and they did a presentation. They made us all chew gum and said if we had sex, we'd be chewed gum. That was the beginning. That's where that started.
1: <gasps> okay, wait, I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> you said... They made you chew gum. Yes, you haven't heard of this?
0: No. Oh my god. Okay. <clears throat> so what they would do is they get uh, everybody together and say like, okay, here's some gum. Everybody chew the gum, on my arm. and then it's like, all right. Well, do you want somebody else's chewed gum? It's like, well, of course not. It's disgusting. Well, every time you have sex with someone, it's like you're being used, and you're being you're not like being pure for your future partner. So they're comparing me and my vagina to used gum yeah used gum sticky tape licked cookies like name it like anything that that's another one that friends of mine went through is like you like lick an oreo and you want this now like no (laughs) i don't want this now so that's
1: fucking hilarious the only thing is we can't like bathe or cleanse a fucking licked oreo right
0: (laughs) and yes and your vagina belongs to you forever (laughs) do with it whatever you want right (laughs) Yeah. Wow, okay. So right, that- so this is in the public schools. Just like set the stage. Like we're all getting like this indoctrination right. at the same time. And so that was that. And of course, because I was in a really Christian culture, which is was very mainstream. I mean, the thing that I think is interesting is that you said that my story is unusual. It's actually not. Um, because I know a lot of people who went through the exact same thing I did. Yeah. We all kind of had different outcomes, but we all like kind of went up going through the same thing. Yeah, so my parents were very, they loved me very much. They wanted me to stay pure, in quotes, for you know my future husband. That was very important to them. Uh, the two of them were married for 40 years. They still would be. My father passed away, but you know they were together for a long time. They were each other's only partner, and that's kind of how they thought marriage was. Like, you, you got married, you were monogamous, and you, you just stuck it out through thick and thin, which is great. If you can make it work, sure. by all means. Do you think that... They still had really great sex. I hope they did. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I wonder that when you've been married that long. And I think that there are some couples that definitely manage. Oh, yeah. And they find new ways to explore and be right. intimate and keep that
0: fire yeah. alive. But I don't know. Some people, I just, I'm like... I'm looking back. They, they got married and then they had me and they had my brother within, like... My brother and I are 11 months apart. Wow. And they had me, like, within... 10 months or so of getting married I was a honeymoon baby wow. so they went from being newlyweds to having two small children in like less than two years Jeez. and so I know that there was a dry patch in there we're like looking back I'm like yeah I can kind of remember some things like you know once you have like the adult perspective I'm like yeah some stuff was kind of rocky between mom and dad about yeah. that but then like I moved out went to college when my mother was 38 like they were really young and my dad's like yeah call before you come home so they kind of went and had like a whole second honeymoon after my brother and I left, which is great. That's how it should go. I don't begrudge them that at all. Um, And like I said, they were really happy as far as I know for their entire marriage. Um, But yeah, so that was the standard they had set for me and my brother and nothing wrong with that. Like if that's something that you sign off on, great. I had a boyfriend. We were high school sweethearts and all that good stuff. And uh, the summer after I graduated from high school, we wound up taking a weekend trip away with some friends of ours. And we were all good Christian kids. Our parents were like, yeah, go have a great time. We'd all like, it was probably about half a dozen of us. And we had all traveled together before, never had any problems. So there's no chaperones because it's just like this group of upper high school age kids and we're all in a cabin in Colorado. And one thing led to another and he and I wound up having sex. Happens. Rate teen. And of course, because we had agreed to be, you know, abstinent until we got married. There wasn't a condom for 40 miles because we weren't planning to have sex (laughs) because why would you? And (laughs) this also happens a lot. Like people who are raised and get like a lot of abstinence education, when sex comes around, they are woefully unprepared because if you're not planning to have sex, why would you have Mm. condoms, pills, diaphragms, whatever you need, like, because you're not planning to use it. And then things happen and yeah. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, so this happened and I kind of went, okay, well, that is, you know, imagine me, like, wiping my brow. All right, okay, so check that box, virginity. Yeah, okay, so yeah, that's all right. Now now on with the rest of my life. I honestly didn't think it was as dramatic an event as it wound up being. So the guy that I was with, he felt horribly guilty about this because he was also very Christian. I think probably a little bit more strict than I was. And wanted to apologize to somebody. And so he, because now I'm damaged goods. And Oh my God, the, he wanted to apologize to somebody. Tell me he apologized to your father. That's exa- my parents, both of them. That's exactly who he went to. Fuck <clears throat> me. Oh yeah. So I came home from work and I walk in the front door into the living room and Greg is sitting in a chair and my parents are sitting on the couch. And I remember my dad looked like Mount Rushmore. I have never seen the man so angry in my life just like stone-faced and and of course what do you say i mean i mean because i knew i had sex i wasn't supposed to do that this was like a huge thing for them they they were very like this was very important to my whole family that you know you will stay pure until you get married and i
1: talk about that for a second yeah of course why is
0: why is even
1: especially at that age when you're older i mean i understand our parents while we're younger but even then oh yeah 14
0: year olds should not be having sex no 18
1: year olds yeah, make your Maybe, best choice, yeah. Yeah, but even, like, at 14 years old, I lo- I I don't like the term lost my virginity, but I had You sex- crossed that line. <laughs> I crossed that line right. when I was 14, and yes, I was too young, but it's kind of this idea of the purity ring, like, promising our virginity to our fathers, to our parents, like, why is it that society would make us feel as though our parents are the ones responsible for our bodies? I mean, I understand they created us, but... Do we not have any autonomy over our body? Like, why is anybody apologizing to your parents? And if he felt guilty,
0: why didn't he apologize to you? Good question. Why didn't he apologize to me? I don't know. Yeah. yeah it was a whole thing. Okay, and- so so your dad was <clears throat> Mount Rushmore. Right. Yeah. My father's incredibly upset, as was my mother. And and I, I I was actually thinking about this last night. I'm like, so what did happen? And honestly, I have like a big blur around that time frame because that happened and then it was just like Everybody I ever met was involved, it seemed like, because I wound up having a lot of really inappropriate conversations with people I shouldn't have been speaking to as an 18-year-old girl about the fact that I had sex because now my pastor's involved and now the youth minister is involved and now friends of my mother are like just you name it, they were like everybody knew about it. And I'm Holy shit. Yeah, and people wonder why I have trust issues. I mean like and Yeah, and I'm kind of a private person in general, so this was excruciating. Like, this was like a betrayal on top of everything just happened, and it was just a mess. And I can only imagine how you felt. Yeah. As if... These people were looking at you like you were a used piece of bubblegum. Well, I'm being judged by people that were, like, basically my family. Like, my church family was very close. I I knew all these people. I had grown up around them. I knew their children. And now, like, my friends' moms knew about this. Like, I don't want to have this conversation with these women or these anybody. This was a private thing that happened between me and and him. And now it's everywhere. And, yeah, it was a mess. (laughs) And, uh, And I remember... I can't remember like how far we or were into this. It was probably because this happened in like June. And so it was probably like July, August. I was just in my room and I was like looking around kind of like, wow, I, I don't live here. The, the, these are, this is not my family. Like I appreciate the 18 years of room and board, but I, I think, I don't know who, who these people are, but I don't think that they love me the way they've been saying they're going to because I just did something that in the grand scheme of thing is nothing. Like no one's dead, you know, like... Mm-hmm. I was a virgin and now I'm not like that's Did always you die. Yeah. I, I'm not even pregnant. Like nothing ha- like there was literally no consequences for those whatsoever. And yet I'm feeling like I have just become garbage, you know? And so, yeah, Well, that's yeah. that
1: goes to the point I've talked about like before unconditional love, we talk yeah. about
0: unconditional love, but then we
1: put all of these conditions on it. And I, right. I personally felt like I experienced that within the church at times mm-hmm. where it was like, bring your broken, bring your ugly, but then you do. And it's, yeah. It's judged. You're made yeah. to feel like shit. And it, it's
0: not, I i don't feel loved unconditionally right. at all. Yeah. And I had to keep apologizing over and over for something I was, and I'm still not sorry for. Like, I'm, I'm not sorry I did it, but I am sorry about everything that happened afterwards. I'm sorry I had to keep having these conversations. Right. Over. And another thing that it took me probably 15 years to like hit this point. I don't remember who I was talking to about it. It was in the Me Too movement, kind of brought it all back up again. Was like, nobody ever asked me if I was okay with what happened. Wow. I was never asked, like, did he force you? Like, wh- what were the circumstances here? Did he give you, did you get drunk? Like, were you, did you consent? None of that was ever asked of me. And it was just kind of assumed that I just flew off my clothes and, you know, this happened, which isn't exactly how it worked. And, and I was like, you know what? If an eighteen-year-old girl came to me, I was like, I had sex with my boyfriend the first time. I'm feeling kind of shaky about it. I'd be like, did you want it? Like, were were you okay with this? I mean, how how did he treat you? Or was yeah, you know, were you forced? I mean, I would ask like all those things and make sure like, are you okay? And that was never a follow up question with me.
1: Yeah, because your like where you were at was not important. The important no. thing was that you. Didn't say no. Right. The true love waits. Yes. You're no longer pure.
0: Right. Did you and this guy stay together? Did this eventually break you guys? Oh, it broke us up pretty fast. Because at that point, I was like, well, I can't trust you. I mean, like, we did this very intimate thing together, and then you turned around and broadcast it to the world. And so I was like, you know, like, we're done here. (laughs) I mean, because my feelings were not a consideration. Yeah. And that was something I'm I'm still getting over it. I'll let you know when it happens. Um, And so, yeah, it was... That was hard. It's like a,
1: that is a huge, I just got chills. Like that is a huge, like first betrayal. Oh yeah. And in regards to sex. And I mean, that obviously is going to have such a huge impact on the way that you relate to sex going forward. Yes. So what happened going forward from there?
0: Okay. Well, going forward from there, um, my mental health took a dive and looking back, I was like, okay, that was the beginning of some stuff I really should have been in therapy for and didn't because- I also come from an area of the country and of a culture where if you are depressed, you should just pray harder, which is... Pray it away. Pray it away. Yeah. Just take it to God. He'll take care of it, which P.S. doesn't actually work.
1: Um, Actually, I would say even, not only does it not work, but I noticed this because I was was raised in the South and I noticed there that, and not only there, it's just, it is the Bible belt. So Mm -hmm. I... I feel like I kind of shit on it a lot, but it's not (laughs) shitting on it. It's just my personal experience. I feel that people do try to pray it away, Mm -hmm. but then they end up feeling worse when they go into the church and they lift their hands and say, take my shame, take my shame. And they might feel good for that worship song or for that sermon or during that moment, but then they walk out and they still have all of this shame. And they're like, wait, I'm supposed to pray it away and it's supposed to go away. But it's Why not, don't I feel better? Why don't I feel better? So why doesn't just, God love
0: me? Yeah. Right. It's yeah. just this
1: cycle. And it's like you just because you pray about it doesn't mean you've dealt with it. Doesn't right. mean you've healed it. Like yeah. you can't just have this mighty
0: being in the sky come in and take it all away. Like it doesn't that doesn't compute to me no. at all. And I have nothing against having like a strong spiritual path. I have one now. I'm not I'm not Christian, but I I I Pray. I meditate. I do all kinds of great things. Mm-hmm. It's very. I get a lot of benefit from it, yeah, but it, well. but also doesn't replace therapy and possibly meds and like all these other like <laughs> tools in the toolbox that can help you out. Like that's not where we stop.
1: Therapy, I think, is extremely important. And I think just now, like in recent years, especially with COVID, I feel like like therapy is just now becoming something that is normalized and talked about. And honestly, everyone should be in fucking therapy.
0: Yeah, I think an interesting thing with COVID is a lot of people, myself included, were forced to stop and like look at themselves in the mirror and go, okay, I can't just keep running from this. I mean, if you're... And I do this too. I'm kind of a borderline workaholic, and when I'm not in a happy place, I tend to like work more. And then at some point, it's like, okay, you need the, like who? What's really happening here? Because right. you're not facing. What's going on? And then you have to like stop and deal with it. Yeah. And I think yeah, COVID kind of made the whole world stop and look in a mirror and go, oh, like this is not a healthy way I'm living. Yeah, and
1: I can't drink or work or have sex yeah. or hang out with people or right. travel this away.
0: Yes, exactly. It, I can't it, run away from yeah, it. Yeah, I can't run away. Literally, from it. I cannot run away from this. <laughs>
1: Literally, cannot run outside of my house. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, so yeah, therapy is great. So yeah, so that summer that happened, there was a suicide attempt that was fairly significant. And that's another one where I'm like, I have a big blur around that. Um, Um, It was an attempted overdose. I was found. I got taken care of, got my stomach pumped. Wow. recommend that as a way to spend a weekend and when and, you were
1: 18
0: yeah and wow. so I, I wound up taking a year off before i went to college which was great actually that's exactly what i need to do so yeah i came out of that i had to spend a couple weeks they were very insistent i spent a couple weeks in a psychiatric ward talking to some people and i i did all that and i yeah and so then i spent a year and i went and hung out with my grandma of all people because mm. she needed someone to stay with her and i was the only one of her many many grandchildren who had nothing going on because everybody else was in school or had careers and marriages and everything And so my family went, okay, kid, you're at loose ends, go stay here for a while. And I did. And that wound up being really great. And so I I stayed in her house and uh, did some family stuff and I worked and I just kind of like got a breather from all of this nonsense and then went to college. And honestly, going to college was probably the best thing I could have possibly done because I I went to a giant state university, Kansas State in Manhattan, Kansas, which was like 30,000 people, which is about the size of my hometown. And so I'm at this huge school where nobody knows me. Nobody cares who I have or have not had sex with. And I could be whoever I wanted. And that's pretty much what happened. And so.
1: I feel like that's so much the story for college. Yeah. And it's like if kids, if, you know, teenagers were a little bit freer to be who they are growing up, then maybe when they go to college, they wouldn't go batshit crazy. I mean, it's. Probably. <laughs> yeah. For me growing up, my parents were very, um, even though I wasn't the Bible Belt, my parents were very liberal with me. And my mom's philosophy on it was, you're a teenager. She was batshit crazy. She was like, you're going to do it anyways. I would right. rather you do it safely and me know about it yeah. than doing it. Behind my back. Or she always told the story of this girl who she went to school with who was a huge church girl, so conservative, and then literally, like, within her first week at college, she woke up naked on a couch in a fucking frat house. Oh, my
0: God. Yeah. Yeah. it's like,
1: dude, by the time that I was 18, I had already... You got, you got so to ease into shit. the waking yeah. up naked in
0: a frat house. You can't just like do that off the bat. Like,
1: you can't. But I mean, that's what happens. When, <laughs> yeah. And then, I mean, Catholic schoolgirls. I mean, it, there's a whole stereotype oh my God, around yeah. this shit, right? Because yeah. they just, they are in this box. And then the second that they smell freedom, it is just batshit crazy.
0: Oh, well, the job I had when I was staying with my grandmother was I was a graveyard shift waitress at a truck stop. And I was, I am 18, 19 years old at this point. And Kansas has two main freeways. There's I-70, which runs east-west, and then I-35, which runs north-south. And they cross in Salina, which is actually my mother's hometown. And so I think every trucker in the country knew I was there. And so I'm, like, pouring coffee at 3 o'clock in the morning with me and, like, these... Just imagine, like, I can't even imagine. Like, the cast of characters there was insane. But... I can imagine you learned a lot from that. I learned through. a lot. So, yeah, so that was, like, my year. It was like, I spent a year, like, pouring coffee for truckers in the middle of the night and, you know, hanging out with my grandma. And yeah, it was great. But it was like, when that year ended, it was like, I am the most motivated collar freshman you ever saw in your life because I've seen <laughs> the other side and I'm not going there. And and these women and even the cooks and everything were like, you know, you're a cute, fresh-faced kid. And they, it was just, in some ways, I found like a lot of love and acceptance from these people that I wasn't getting from my family, which mm-hmm. is ridiculous. But They'd been around... Uh, th- these guys had seen everything. So it's like, oh, you had sex? Yeah. You criminal. Like, yeah. it was like I no, actually, no reaction. It was like, yeah. yeah. I actually...
1: Not so much my family, but I actually had a similar experience that I did talk about on episode nine um, in relation to the church, where it was when I was first really introduced to not just a few people, but really entire communities of people <laughs> who didn't necessarily call themselves Christians or religious and they're just a bit freer and they talk about their dark shit and they've seen the world and they just kind of see things without this rose tinted lens and I felt more accepted and seen by them than I ever did within a church for the most part. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of grace and acceptance and unconditional love happening in AA meetings in church basements that you never happens in the sanctuary, Yeah, which I think is, I mean, I'm not an alcoholic, but if I ever need like that kind of support, that's where I'm going because because yeah. those guys have seen it and they're, they're like, you know what? You're still standing. Good job, kid. Like they'll, they'll give you a hug and uh-huh. send you back out there. And, and I and, feel like there's also this sense of compassion and oh, yeah. empathy and also grace and like all of that. Like, yeah, you know, and also
1: an understanding that it could be any of us. I don't know, in my experience, I feel like in the church, it's just this kind of posture of perfection. Right. And there was a comic that we read last, um, last week, or on the, on episode nine, that talks about how we're raised, and we're raised to be told, you know, the Lord loves you with everything, but if you fuck up, you're gonna spend eternity in fiery hell pit. Yes. And it's like, this is kind of weird to tell kids, where then you end up walking around as if there's a trap door underneath right. you. And when you fuck up or if you have questions or if you doubt, you're just going <clears> to <throat> fall down into
0: eternal damnation.
1: You know? Yeah,
0: that was the other thing. I remember having questions about just Christianity and all of that when I was pretty young. Like, I was, I don't know, 12 or 13, and just like, I'm just not buying this. Like, for whatever reason, like, the entire concept just never really sat well with me. Yeah. And my mom and my dad and my brother, and my brother is actually getting a master's degree in theology, so he is very, you know took it all. Like he's hundred percent on board. And for whatever reason, my brain was just not wired to go. This this just does not feel like home. I appreciate it's working for you guys, but I don't think this is for me. Mm. And I remember bringing up some doubts at one point with my dad or was just like, well, you just need to like pray harder. And that was always the answer to everything was you, you, obviously you're having a crisis of faith and you need to just like pray your way through it. I'm like, again, not really helpful, like, like, spiritual I, I, bypassing <clears throat> is what it is.
1: Yeah, it is. It's just saying, Pray, you're not, it, it puts the responsibility on you, yeah, to work harder, do better, to reach right. the Lord. Yeah,
0: yes, yeah. And I've had amazingly beautiful spiritual experiences standing in a room full of pagans, you know, not even in a room, we were outside, and it was like, Okay, like, the Christian God is nowhere around here, and I have never felt like closer to whatever the higher power is than yeah. I do right now. Yeah, and so I didn't start feeling close to the source of divine energy until I fully
1: let go and lost my quote unquote religion. Right. Because it never, even though I called myself a Christian for years, I never felt fully comfortable in that being my identity. It just never fit right. I loved even some of the preaching. I loved some of the messages. I loved Mm -hmm. some of the songs. I loved some of the people. I don't think, you know, I don't think it's all bad. It's not all bad. It just, it just, the whole principle the umbrella of it just never sat right with me right and once i was able to really let that go that's when i really started to see god source divine energy everywhere mm-hmm. in and in everyone mm-hmm. it wasn't something that was reserved for quote unquote christians right. or within the church yeah so you went to college. Yep, went to college. And then what what from there?
0: Uh I went to college and I had a roommate who moved out kind of suddenly, as tends to happen in college, and suddenly I had to make some rent. And I had a friend of mine who was a stripper. And so she and I were talking about this one day.
1: <laughs> and uh
0: and so and I was like, okay, I need like three hundred bucks tomorrow. And she's like, I think I she's like, if you're okay with this, you know, you can come work on that at my club because you can work for tips and see how it goes. And I was like, sure, why not? <laughs> I mean, I've fuck already it. <laughs> I mean, pretty much. Like I've already taken the fir- p- first path to big it. and Balas is go all the way. So, oh my god, I'm already I'm pure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I've mean, already used bubblegum, so I am right. Might as and, well. And that's another thing I've heard a lot of like women my age say is like, okay, well, I've already fucked one guy and now I'm officially like a uh, you know, ruined woman. Might as well go fuck a lumber camp because okay. why not? So yeah. <laughs> lumber camp.
1: Oh my god. No, I I actually resonate with that so much because I feel that when I started having sex, it was kind of, you know, okay, well, if this is bad, if this is bad, then it doesn't matter who the fuck I do it with. Right. It doesn't matter if I do it with this dude or this dude. Or yeah. It doesn't matter because it's bad and I'm used to bubble gum and I'm sure. pure. Yeah. So I might as well just fuck anything. And yeah. So that's kind of what I did. Whereas, and it took me years. I would say it's been really in the last two years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I'm 27 now, so <laughs> I spent 10 years kind of in this place. It's been in the last two years that I've started to say, like, oh, wait, no. Right. It's actually a <clears throat> profound, beautiful, sacred thing. It's not bad. And that has made me actually choose more wisely who I want to be in this space with. Right.
0: right. Yeah.
1: Um. So you decided that you were here anyways,
0: and you... Did you have any dancing experience? A little bit, Okay. But- Okay, here's the thing with stripping. You actually don't need to be a great dancer. <laughs> it's a sales job. So, <laughs> I, I considered it back in the day just cuz honestly, I'm really good on the pole.
1: I will never forget. I'll never forget one time when I was like, I must have been 10 or 11 years old, maybe a little older. No, I must have been a little older. I was probably like 12, and there was a party bus and my mom, me, my grandfather and my grandmother get on the party bus. And I'm wearing these like heels. I was in this like modeling show and I get on this freaking pole and I swing around <laughs> it and then hold on to it and back bend up it. And I look over and my mom and my grandfather are just jaws on the ground. <laughs> like what in the actual fuck? And my grandma's just like, oh, go Lauren. Lauren. <laughs> That is, And then I've taken a couple pole dancing classes. And first of all, it takes incredible strength to do some of that Oh, shit, yeah. But also, it's, like, really fun. It is and super fun. I don't know. I've d- I have definitely considered it back in the day. Like, yeah. amateur night in Vegas, sign me up. No, you can
0: probably <laughs> still do it. Like, yeah. I mean, I always said I was going to quit dancing when I was 30. I was 20 when I started. And then I actually stopped when I was about 34. So I, I kept going for a little you bit longer. You went for
1: 14 years? Not
0: full time, but yeah. Like, I, I was on and off. Like, the first... When I first started, that was that was my job. Like that's just how I made all my money. And then and that's how I got through college. That's how I paid for college. Did my you night. pay
1: for your college?
0: Yeah, for the most part.
1: And did you like did
0: you make decent money? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, the my university there's a, a very large army base right like about 15, 20 miles away. So I danced at a club that was like when you left them the base gates and made like a hard right, it was the first building you hit. So on like military payday, we just rolled in it. I mean, because like the guys would have like all this money and they were in the infantry and they just wanted to look at pretty girls and buy overpriced drinks. And so they would roll in. And our club was actually one of the bigger ones in the area. So they would just roll in and yeah. Oh my God, it was so fun. Oh, it (laughs) was awesome. Yeah, I had so much fun. And yeah, and then, yeah, and I did bachelor parties and there was a summer where like my friend who got me into it, she and I took off for a month and went to Texas and like danced in, we were in San Antonio, we were in Dallas and we were in Houston. So we just did like this loop for about four Mm -hmm. weeks and came home with just a bag of cash and had a blast. Like I had so much fun doing that. Jeez. So, How did you feel? How did you feel your, the perceptions of you were from the men that you dance for? And then also from
1: like your family, from society. My
0: family still does not know. Sorry, mom, they may find out now. Um, I have never told my parents. I just got chills. <laughs> you fucking kidding me? Your face. My God. Yeah. No, I've never told them. And part what of the reason. What the fuck
1: did they think you were doing? They thought
0: I was waitressing, which is what I had been doing. And cocktail waitresses in college towns you make a lot of cash and so not as much as you dancing but yeah but still like but i i also have to say that my university and my hometown are about 200 miles away from each other so my parents were not anywhere like near me at this point in time i was living quite a distance away a fucking doozy for you to be dancing or your dad walking yeah exactly (laughs) so yeah. So, no, I, I never told them. And part of the reason was because, again, none of your damn business What, how I'm making my money. I'm paying my bills. That's all you got to know. And also, I knew they would have been incredibly disappointed. Many, many prayers would have been wasted on my lost soul. I'm like, there's just, I was like, there is <laughs> you would have
1: been in every prayer request oh email chain. that exists. <laughs> Yes, exactly.
0: And so I was like, there is no upside to me doing this. And so yeah, I, I never said anything. And does your brother know? Nope. Wow. Which actually is funny, because I went to visit him. He was in San Diego for christmas break he was doing mission work <laughs> my so in my family there's like a light side a dark side and it's it's me and my brother no shit um, yeah so my brother was on a medical mission boat that did like eye surgeries um and they were spending christmas break in san diego and so my mom bought me a plane ticket to fly out and spend christmas with my brother like go oh, go hang out with him I'm like all right great and so i left on like it was a couple, three days before Christmas and I, I worked the night before and made like my, my roll. So I had like this wad of money. I probably had like six or seven hundred bucks and this is pre 9 You can take whatever you want on a plane. So I just had like this big thing of cash, like stuck in my jacket pocket. And so Jesus. I fly from Kansas city. I land in San Diego. I see my brother, we're on his boat and I'm in the cabin I'm staying in and I'm unpacking everything and I take off my jacket and I pull this wad oh, of money no. out of my pocket and I put it on my bunk bed and my brother goes, Oh, are you still waitressing? And I was like... Yep. <laughs> and we just kind of went on. I was like, again, I'm standing on a medical mission boat. Like, I am not like I'm just not in the mood to out myself on day one of my Christmas vacation to my brother. Like, the, the, oh, again, I was like, my God. yeah, would have, they would have dumped a bucket of holy water. On <sighs> I have no idea what would happen. But I mean, so, yeah, I mean, some of it is self-preservation and also some of it is like them preservation. Like, I just yeah. I just don't want to, like, lay that stress and worry and everything on them because right. i'm fine i still am like i was then i am now i was yeah. taking care of myself i was safe nothing bad ever happened to me like bumps and bruises from because i'm a klutz and giant heels but that's about it like yeah. i yeah did you feel respected by the men who you did I, mean- I did actually um one of the things with stripping that doesn't ever really get talked about is there are bouncers that are there to keep everything nice and calm and so if some guy got handsy or didn't want a tip or whatever was going on, you can just like signal to the giant man by the door and they will be removed. And so mm-hmm. in some ways I was safer in a, the club than I was like on the street, because if I'm walking around yeah. the bar district, I don't know, anybody could, anything could happen. Anything did yeah. happen. Like bad things happen to girls in college bar districts all the time, but right. in strip clubs I was actually very safe. And so yeah. yeah, I never really had a problem with that. Yeah. Okay. So you, <laughs> that's really cool. So again, that's another environment where I'm surrounded by people who are I don't want to say dregs, but maybe, like, the lower levels of society and felt completely safe, protected, loved. I was sober. I showed up on time. My bosses always liked me. You know, like, I was polite. The the other staff thought I was fine. I, I made friends dancing. So, yeah, it was, like, another area where I got a lot of grace and love and acceptance that if you had told me that, that I would find that there, I would not have believed you. And and I did. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of people would be in the same boat. I think oh, yeah. That, I mean, there's obviously a huge stigma around – Stripping and then to take it even further, like sex work. Yeah, I think it's changed, it, 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 at least for stripping, because for a lot of people, it's like sex work light. It's yeah. Like, yeah, I'm going in I'm dancing, but I'm not taking my clothes off. I'm not actually fucking anybody. Like, That's true. Okay. Yeah, fair and enough. So it's a little bit more accepted than it was when I was doing it. But right.
1: yeah. But I mean, even if, I mean, regardless of what you choose to do, mm-hmm. it's your fucking body. It's right. your decision. Yeah. And I think too, there's a lot of this is kind of a little off topic, but there's this idea that sex work in general is, or sex work stripping, people kind of just associate it with trafficking.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And obviously trafficking is a huge thing. Oh yeah. And it's awful. It's awful. It's fucking terrible. And several years ago, I kind of wanted to work in the trafficking sector. Mm -hmm. And when I went to Amsterdam, I was studying social policy. And I remember at this time I was still very heavily religious Mm -hmm. and I remember walking through the red light district and going back to my journal and just writing down like, Oh, these poor girls, they're being trafficked. They are, you know, they're, they're against their will. These poor girls, there has to be another way. Like, and then by the end of my term there, because I I ended up doing my thesis on legalized prostitution, Mm -hmm. what I found was that the women there actually are choosing to be there. Mm -hmm. And further, you know, once it's, pulled out of the shadows once it's regulated once it's legalized these girls have rights Mm -hmm. and so in a lot of in basically every room there's buttons everywhere yeah that it only opens from the inside once the girls are in and there's buttons everywhere and if they if something happens there are these huge alarms that just go off in the red light district yeah and these fuckers will be arrested right and it's like here in the States, I have a hard time believing that there actually is a separation between church and state because at the end of the day, the only reason prostitution is not legalized, I think, is because of the morals of Christianity, which is kind of our governing, <laughs> our governing state of morals in this country, because if the concern was really keeping the girls safe, people safe then it might be handled a lot differently right you know but then it's like somebody finds it icky somebody finds it icky right exactly but at the end of the day it's like we can talk about your morals but if these girls aren't protected if they're not safe yeah if they don't have rights legal rights Mm -hmm. then that absolutely makes them subject and and vulnerable to traffickers pimps brothels and then when they're caught they have no rights. What happens right. is they end up getting arrested, going to jail, and then their fucking pimp comes and bails them out, and then it's just a cycle that continues to happen.
0: Yeah, so, and like, that's actually kind of like the big conundrum, I think, with legalizing sex, sex work, at least in this country, is once you start... On that path as a provider, suddenly like you're like outside the bounds of law because you're you are breaking the law. So if someone breaks the law on you, you really have nowhere to go. Right. Because it's like, okay, excuse me, I was breaking the law and I just got robbed. And the cops are gonna be like, Sucks to be you. (laughs) And that's the end of that. So or I was breaking the law and I got assaulted. Well, you know, you might have a little bit more wiggle room that way, but Don't bank on it. And so, yeah. yeah.
1: No, there was a, there was a story several years ago when I was really heavily into this of a girl who was underage and she had been trafficked. She, you know, was tricked into being with this man who was her boyfriend, quote unquote. He was older. You know, these, these men, they prey on vulnerable young girls who maybe come from not such good family um, dynamics. And she was actually found. She went missing. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the book is called Finding Lacey. Um, She went missing. And she was actually found at a truck stop and she was having sex with a trucker and she was underage and she was selling herself and she ended up getting arrested and going to jail. But then she ultimately got bailed out and um, and was put back into it and then eventually did go missing and was never found. Mm-hmm. But the interesting about thing about the story of the truck stop was, you know, the trucker never... Got arrested? No. He never got arrested. He never, you know. I think he actually pleaded his family, his job, all of this shit, and he right. was actually let go. Yeah. And the young girl was the one who was arrested. And it's kind of like, first of all, if there's not a demand for cheeseburgers, McDonald's would go out of business. Right. So why are we hurting the the person who really needs help from this? Right. Versus really like addressing the the demand for right. it. So that's just like a whole fucked up situation in itself. But I think it's important to just dis- differentiate. And it's a huge importance between like women who choose to go into this and who benefit from it on their own mm-hmm. for themselves versus being trafficked. And right. Being, like there's a huge fucking yeah. difference. Yeah. And even like the huge, like OnlyFans, um, you know, glow up this last year. What's so cool about it is these girls are now taking, their sexuality into their own hands and they're mm-hmm. making money from it right. and they're benefiting from it but now all of a sudden people are like losing their shit over it <laughs> and like judging them for it yeah but why like when we use our bodies or our sexuality to benefit us people seem to
0: well and if you really boil it down to like okay so i'm sitting here across from lauren with six stitches in my hand because i got cut up at my day job when i was dancing that never happened i never <laughs> went to the er <laughs> so, because i'm a chef that's why i got cut um <laughs> And so, yeah, in some ways it's like, okay, what is damaging me more? Like, you know, yeah. you know I'm, I'm twirling around on a pole being pretty versus I'm in a hot kitchen getting burned and yeah. cut every single day. Like, come on. Right. <laughs> like, this is really more yeah. dangerous. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, let's talk about safe work environments here for a minute because, you know, strip clubs, not that bad. Like, really. Right. So. And there's
1: so many unsafe sex environments oh I mean, yeah not sex environments
0: <laughs> work environments yeah there's
1: a ton of unsafe sex environments too but I'm right. to say there's a ton of unsafe work environments like this right is, it's no different it just goes it's just yeah. person by person establishment yeah. by establishment um so you did that for 14 years uh-huh. and then what did what have relationships looked like for you
0: um I when I was 20 so yeah right around the same time I started dancing uh, my boyfriend proposed to me, and I said, yes, of course, I'll marry you. And looking back, I was like, wow, I should never have done that. That lasted about two years, I think. Um, and then we got divorced, and that was fine. <laughs> yeah. I think he's still getting over it, but, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, Perfect. so so for relationships for me, so, yeah, that that I had a very brief, ill-advised marriage in there. Um, yeah, and then I dated some guys, and for some reason, I tend to have these very long-term mostly monogamous relationships that mostly monogamous. Mostly monogamous yeah. I'm not going to lie. I'm not great. Um, <laughs> and for the most part, the guys have been pretty good. Um, my boyfriend in college, uh, Ian, I dated him for about seven years actually. And he was in the military and he was in the army. We met in a strip club and he was having some problems with it. Um, about two or three years in. And at one point I was like, we met in a club. Like you hired me to dance at your best friend's bachelor party. That's how we met. So, what up? <laughs> and, uh, and, and he's like, well, I'm just not comfortable with this. men looking at you. And I actually said, I, I made a spreadsheet because data is your friend. And I was like, here's how much money I make. This is how much my bills are. Like I have to pay tuition and all this other stuff. And I was like, this is how much a wedding costs on average. And if you make me stop dancing, I'm going to have to like get a job. And like, cause basically you're asking me to change my entire life because you're not comfortable. And when I laid it all out like that, he, he backed down. And yeah, since then he and he and I are still friends. I actually talked to him a couple weeks ago. And he was like, Yeah, I, I think being with me was very eye-opening for him because I really didn't need him for anything. Um mm-hmm. I was making more money than he was for one thing. Like I don't need this man to help pay my rent. And so yeah. yeah. So for me, relationships have been pretty okay for the most part. Like I've I've I am friends with most of the guys I've dated. Uh, there's a couple psychos out there, but, you know, that happens to everybody. So. It happens to the best of us. Exactly. You know, guys, people are sweet talkers sometimes. Yeah. You them. Um, I was married again when I was like in my early 30s and we were together for, we were married for about 10 years. We were together for about 12. Mm. And that was, for the most part, pretty good. My ex-husband likes to say we had an excellent 10-year marriage, which I think is pretty accurate because I think sometimes... You know, that whole tell death to us, birth thing is like a terrible, terrible story because somebody dies. Like, that's awful. Yeah. I think it's perfectly okay to be with somebody and, you know, you accomplish whatever it is meant to accomplish and then give each other a hug and a kiss and, and part friendly. And so, and I think he and I managed to do that. We We were together for 10 years and at the end of it, it was like, we're done. Like, we have nothing else to yeah. do or say or give to each other. And so let's just call this while we're friends and, and we'll do that. So that's what we did.
1: I think that's a beautiful thing. I think also, I also think the whole to till death do us part thing, it's a huge fucking commitment. Considering oh yeah. I don't know who the fuck I'm going to be in <laughs> 10 years. I don't know who I'm going to be in 10 months from now. I'm right. Sign up for something for the rest of my life. And I understand the beauty and commitment and working through, but at the same time, people change. People oh, yeah. shift. People yeah. grow. And I think it's wonderful to make that commitment, but it's also, it's like a hierarchy of commitments. You know, right. Is there a hierarchy? And and if there is, then the number one thing I'm committed to is myself sure. and my own growth. Yeah. And if, if we begin to grow in opposite directions, why would you force that right. to continue to work if it just doesn't? Or right. if you could experience so much life outside of each other. I mean that's why I feel like I've experienced many women who have been married who were married for decades and then they just they lose their like zest for life. They aren't happy, they're in a rut, they don't, you know, they don't feel sexy, they don't feel hot, they don't experience pleasure and then all of a sudden they get a divorce and they have this post-divorce glow up they grow every they learn woman they i are. know
0: who has gotten divorced ends up in better shape
1: a hundred percent
0: yeah every single one yeah. everyone it's amazing and every man i know who has got divorced it's hit or miss <laughs> you know what i mean some of them some of them do okay some of them it's like dude you got to get in a partnership because you are not handling this well <laughs> this is bad like
1: I think I wonder how much of that has to do with the way that women process emotions. I think so. In general. I mean, I think men in general, at least in this, you know, very much so in this society, don't know how to process the feelings that they have. And they just instead just end up closing themselves off. Right. Or becoming completely detached, or just absolute dickheads in general. Oh, well,
0: I mean, patriarchy is bad for everybody. I mean, yeah. we talk about it being bad for women because it is. I mean, and you can, I think, for men, it's more subtle because, like, for women, you can go, "Okay, you are being kept down, seventy cents on the dollar, doing the third shift at home." But I mean, you can like point concrete examples of the patriarchy e. harming women, and for men, stuff down your emotions, be a good provider, don't hug your your your, your male friends. Like, it's it's a lot more like. I don't know. It's it's odd, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, you get what I'm saying. Like, there, it's it's like it's more insidious, I think, yeah, for men, and it it's gonna take a lot harder, a lot longer to like unravel that for men. I think, oh yeah, yeah.
1: Because there's there's a ton of ego involved. Yeah, there's a lot. Of... Well, and there's a lot of
0: cultural programming too. Yeah. Like, I was raised around a bunch of very stoic Midwestern farm men, and if you would ask any of them, like, when was the last time you hugged your son? they would just, they would have no idea. Like probably when he was a toddler, like it's just not something that, that yeah. men do like in that culture. Yeah. And it breaks my heart because, you know, there's a lot of men who are like the only people, the only, I mean, I don't think they could actually verbalize this, but it's like the only person I am culturally allowed to touch is my wife. And if you are the person who is on the receiving end of all that, it's intense because they don't have anywhere else all that energy to go. So yeah, like we end up catching it all. And that's a lot to put on anybody. Because it's not just the good, it's the the bad as well. It's the outburst. It's the, you end up becoming
1: their source for every single.
0: That and like, and also you are their source for comfort, for love, for like all, and just like all like the emotional tending that we need to be as human beings. Because like women tend to kind of like, Kind of take care of each other a little bit. yeah. Like, and men just don't. And yeah. I think it's changing, but it breaks my heart. So like I know men like my age, and you can tell like they're kind of emotionally closed off. They don't want to be, but they don't know how to like, make that first crack. And so mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, once you can get out of that shell, you're going to feel a lot better, but it's going to hurt while you're doing it. Right. <laughs> it's almost there's like this stoic yeah. nature of yes. just,
1: oh, I'm a tough guy. This doesn't bother me. I mean, I definitely, even growing up in the South, I feel like that culture exists a lot. Oh yeah. I mean, my brother just moved back. He- went to school here and then moved to New York and then moved back to my hometown and was going to do real estate there. And then he just called me one day. He was like, I can't do this. Like I can't, I barely have real conversations. You know, he has one good friend there and Mm -hmm. he has several other friends there, but it's like, they don't have real conversations. You know, he says, man, I love you. And it's like, Oh, gay. Yeah. Like homo. Yeah. And it's like, what, where's the intimacy between between friends where is the sharing of the burden the load what why are people not why can men not be real with each other and if they show emotion it's a sign of weakness yeah so they end up just bottling all this shit up inside until eventually i mean it does come out it doesn't Mm -hmm. stay right bottled up it definitely comes out in one way or another i think that's like where outbursts of anger oh yeah happen yeah it's just unattended needs
0: yeah well, you know, they say when you when you see anger, look for fear. So mm. when a man has an outburst of anger, like, what are you afraid of? Is it being vulnerable? I mean, that's a legit fear. You know, is it, like, what is it? Just so before you punch a hole in the drywall, maybe look inside yourself for a second and figure out what you're afraid of, you know? <laughs> Dead ass. Yeah. And I have a, a good male friend of mine who, she's talking to me, he's like, you're like my only friend. He's like, I have, I have you and I have my brother. And I'm just like, dude, you need some therapy, man. Because like, yeah. flattered. Thank you for thinking of me that way. But that's not healthy. Like you need, you need people in your life who can talk to you and support you and all of that. So yeah.
1: Yeah. And I feel like I actually know quite a few men like that. Mm -hmm. I was talking to somebody very close to me last night about the ways that, you know, he's been hurt and he's hurt other people. And in response, he's just kind of shut himself off for years and become kind of stoic and created this shell that not many people are able to get into, Mm -hmm. but it definitely fosters this loneliness and Mm -hmm. inauthentic connection. Oh, yeah. And especially, like, in a romantic sense, you know, you just there's no conversation, there's no deep, and that is intimacy.
0: Yeah, and like, and I've been with men, like, romantically, who are like that, and, you know, for whatever reason, the relationship ended, and they're devastated, and I'm like, I didn't frankly think it cared that much, because, like, they never crossed that last, you know, two feet to have that level of intimacy with me, Yeah. and it turns out, they thought they were, and I'm like, nah, not so much, Yeah. and yeah, so we've had to go back and, like, reprocess some things, because, like, no, oh, I really, really loved you. I'm like, yeah, you got to work on showing that dude because yeah. I didn't get that at all. And so definitely yeah. there's,
1: yeah, there's <clears throat> definitely, that brings to mind like one relationship I was in that I was, you know, crazy about him, but he had, he had a lot of intimacy, trouble with intimacy mm-hmm. in a sense that I remember one time asking like, how do you feel about this? What do you need? Yeah. What do you want? And he like, he couldn't down. answer it and yeah. said, I've just never been asked that before. Yeah. And that's insane to me, you know? And I tried to... It was like I had to dig in with a fish hook, you know? And kind of pull those feelings out of him. And then what that also did was it closed me down. Mm -hmm. It closed me down to being intimate with him and feeling like I could share my intimate spaces because I didn't feel like it was welcome because he wasn't comfortable with it. And ultimately, I did end up cheating on him and that fucking sucks, but... I didn't cheat on him with someone random. I ended up in this, uh, I've mentioned it several times on, on the show, in this situation where it was very intimate, vulnerable, meditative, eye gazing kind of situation. And it felt so intimate. Right. And the reason I, now that but i But you wound back, up
0: cheating because there was with somebody who gave you that level of vul- vulnerability. Right. That's all I'm say. Yeah,
1: vulnerability. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it's so true. And I didn't really under, I mean, I did understand it in my body. I knew at the time, but now looking back on it, I realized that there was this vulnerability, this openness, this ability to see each other that I experienced in that moment mm-hmm. that I was not receiving in my relationship. Right. And I think that when it comes to cheating or looking outside of the relationship for something that I feel like that's found so often whether it's you know an intimacy that's missing or it's a newness or it's being understood or seen or desired by yeah. somebody
0: oh the um, desire one is huge the
1: desire is huge I yeah. mean I think a lot of cheating can actually be boiled down to that it, it's like I didn't feel desired by you I right. you got tired of me yeah you know it the novelty wore off right and then you stopped trying and then there's this person here that I felt that desire for. Right. And it's not all me. I mean, I also, you know, you lost your novelty to me because we didn't try. Yeah. We didn't keep up the, you know, the intimacy. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up looking for it somewhere else. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing that, I mean, I fall into this too. And I'm, I'm, so I, I met this guy on, uh, one of the dating apps, and he's in the army and he's in Cyprus for a month, which is actually good because we have to talk to each other <laughs> for the next month. Like we can't see each other because he's in, he's in fucking Cyprus. And so <laughs> we're having these very, and it's a 10 hour time difference. So when I'm going to bed, he's getting up. And when I'm getting up, he's home from work. And so we're having these really odd, interesting conversations over text because that's all we have. Yeah. And we were talking about just like, what does a successful relationship look like to you? And he's like, well, he wanted like trustworthiness, peace of mind and something else. And I was like, well, to me, like, the important thing with a long-term relationship is you never stop dating, in quotes, because you have to keep engaging with each other on that level. Like, you can have, like, a good day-to-day life or there's the routine and everything that's happening around that, but... I mean, people talk about going out with date nights with your spouse, and it sounds very trite, but it's actually really, really important because <laughs> you need to see each other in that light on a regular basis. Yeah. Otherwise, you just become the wallpaper. Like. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I became that for my ex-husband, and that was a, a big problem. And once it started, it was like really hard for us to pull that out of. Back to the other side, and we didn't do it. I mean, we wound up being divorced, but yeah, like there. I used to joke like there are times I'm convinced he forgot I live there because he would just be like, you know, he's a very absent-minded professor type, and he would just be in his own world, and I'd just be like, do you even see me anymore? And after a while, it's like, like if you're not looking, I'm just gonna go do whatever I want because you're clearly not paying attention. You and clearly don't give a shit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so
1: no, I think I feel like I experienced that in my parents' marriage. Yeah. I mean, my yeah, my parents were never super touchy. Never super kissy. Like I remember seeing my girlfriend of mine's parents hold hands at a young mm-hmm. age and I was like, wow, parents do
0: that? Yeah. See, I was actually really lucky. My parents were super huggy and touchy and kissy with each other. Like they, they were very loving. And so when I say they had a very happy marriage for 40 years, I will stand by that because yeah. like I was there for a lot of it and they were held hands while they walked around. My dad always opened the car door for my mom, like that type of thing. They They were very considerate and loving to each other. Where I think they did me and my brother a disservice is I have never seen them argue. I have no idea what a successful argument looks like between two people who love each other because I had never seen that. Is it because
1: (laughs) they never argued or because they just did it behind closed doors?
0: I think some of both. Yeah. Um, they always presented a united front to me and my brother. So if there was an issue where the two of them didn't agree on something, they'd be like, okay, we'll be back to you. Just give. A, we'll talk about this tomorrow. And they would go and just like figure out how they, f- and then return with the verdict. And uh, yeah. I never saw the two of them like have a fight about. Actually, I take that back. They wallpapered a kitchen together once and that went very, very badly. But that was once in like 87. So it doesn't really count. (laughs) Um, But yeah, but like they, I never saw them argue about money or time or how we're spending the holidays. Like nothing. They they were always, as far as I could tell, completely in sync. Yeah. And I'm like, statistically, that cannot be right. You don't live with somebody for 40 years and never argue. But no. Yeah. Totally not. No, I
1: think my my parents never argued either. Yeah. My dad never raised his voice. My dad never. Got angry. And I think to a certain point, that's what drove my mom away. Because my mom would get upset and she would go Oh, yeah. Because she's
0: talking to a Vulcan. And right. he's making her feel like the most irrational woman on right. earth. Yeah. Exactly.
1: And my dad just kind of would be like, okay.
0: Yeah. Like he would just... That's okay. how you feel. You All know, right. which
1: he's just... He's just a passive person. I understand that. But I think some of her was like, where's your fire? Right. Do you not care that I'm fucking pissed right yeah, now? Exactly. Show me you care. Yeah. You know? But there was... But that's the thing is there was no like heavy heated arguments. Right. But there also wasn't this really deep level of intimacy. Okay. You know, and I mean, I've had kind of some open conversations about their levels of intimacy and sex kind of just became a chore. There was no buildup. And I mean, there was no foreplay. And I'm not talking about foreplay in the bedroom. I mean, foreplay outside of the bedroom. There was no tension rising. There was no buildup of I want you tonight. You know, it was just very... Mechanical. I mean, I've even been in relationships where I lived with somebody and, you know, my parents were together for 20 years or whatever, but I've been in a relationship with somebody for a year and a half. (laughs) And it towards the end, it's like, this feels. Very rote. Right. Yeah. This feels like such a duty. We don't have communication outside of the bedroom. You don't show up for me in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't feel supported or loved. Right. And then we get to the bedroom and you expect me to be wet to fuck you. Right. Like, not really. That's not how it works. And you putting your hands in my pants for a few minutes is not going to change that. That's not the foreplay I'm talking about. Like, show up during the day. Love me. Support me during the day. Mm -hmm. and get it in my mind that wow I desire you
0: yeah because if you fucking don't someone else will yep yeah my thing is food like anybody who cooks for me I'm like I love you take me in (laughs) because I cook for people for a living
1: so acts of service is probably your love language yeah it's
0: one of them um actually I just took that quiz recently and I was uh time quality time touch and words of affirmation were like my top three they're all within about like just four or five points of each other, okay, yeah. I think
1: I took it years ago, and I think my my top was either either quality time or acts of service, and then it was touch words of affirmation gifts,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah gifts was down there for me, right. Yeah, but when I was married, like I would, I would make dinner because, you know, my husband's like, you cook for a living. Why would I do it? You're so good at it. And then afterwards it was like, okay, so I just basically did my job again and uh, not really yeah. feeling in the mood to put out for you. So yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was kind of amazing. Like how that, how those two go together. So, yeah. Like yeah.
1: I've just worked my ass off all day and then came
0: home and, and worked my
1: ass off some more. And now right. you expect me to go in the bedroom and, and work, work my ass more. off. Yeah. Like,
0: yeah, we're done.
1: Yeah. Probably <laughs> not. <laughs> So what do relationships look like for you these days? Are you monogamous, non monogamous, long term, non long term? Mm,
0: right now I'm I'm very I'm in a weird spot because I haven't I'm single. I have no man on the horizon, which is kinda of fun. So but what I've been doing is I was like kinda of looking back over COVID was good. I had to stop and like mm. think about what I was doing like hard because I couldn't keep doing what I had been doing. And so I was like, all right, well, Okay, so here's what do I want? I guess I, I don't really like need a man for anything. I have a job. I have my own money. I have a place to live. I'm good. Like I'm not looking for a guy to complete any of like those core areas of my life. I got it covered. So. Pretty much I need somebody for companionship, sex, you know, basically like the the, the frosting on the cake. I got the cake. The cake is good. I got that one all taken care of. Yeah, I've been doing the dating app thing, which has been fun and have been pretty straightforward The guys I'm getting involved with that like, if monogamy is your thing, we should probably shake hands and walk away right now because (laughs) I'm not great at it. Like I I, play to your strengths. This is not one of mine. And so, I mean, honestly, like there are things I'm fantastic at. And I've always said, I'm a, I'm a wonderful girlfriend. Like I really, really am. I'm a shitty wife. And so I'm like, I'm just going to stop doing that because it sucks for everybody. Like I, it's just not a good time for me. Right. So
1: yeah, I think like being upfront and being forward. And I think that's kind of where I'm at in my life now. And I think, I feel like I've always been very up forward about who I am in the sense of I am a free person. I don't like to feel like I have a leash around my neck. I right. don't feel like to feel trapped. But I also feel that I've been in many situations where I have been kind of upfront, maybe not as upfront, certainly not as upfront as I am now, but I've kind of been upfront about this is who I am. Mm-hmm. And it's almost as if guys who have dated have thought that maybe I'm this broken, hurting, sad, lonely, afraid of love. <laughs> Girl, and I need you know my knight in shining armor to come in and and change my mind and change you know oh it's just I haven't met the one yet but I could be the one and I could change her right and we were talking about this earlier and yeah
0: it's, it's like the yeah it's the 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 bad it's like the bad boy equivalent yeah like what is a stereotypical bad boy like he follows his own rules and lives by his own code or whatever yeah, but he'll change for head. me yeah it's like, kind of an asshole yeah so men are hearing you say this going okay she clearly doesn't want a man around full time, but I can change her mind. Right. <laughs> like, She'll change for me. Right. You know, this
1: person. Yeah.
0: Is, I'll convince her that she's wrong. Right. Oh, you sweet summer child. No right. But <laughs>
1: then they're, yeah. But then they, like a lot of them end up quite shocked when I turn out to be exactly who the fuck I yeah. said I was, you know? Yeah. But then obviously in the past, I, I realized I haven't been as upfront. And I think I've also lied to myself. Like, I think I've tried to convince myself that I am something different, someone different Mm -hmm. than who I am in this moment. And I feel that now going into things, I feel like I'm very much more upfront about this is where I'm at. I'm not interested in being in a monogamous relationship. I would love to be in relationship. And I think that there is a way to do that ethically. I think it comes down to communication and It's not a free for all when you start, you know, No. when you're, I wouldn't necessarily call myself polyamorous. I think it's almost like I'm dating openly, right? Dating openly. I have like more serious relationships. I have less serious relationships really, you know, and they evolve and they grow and some come in and they shift in a certain way and they go away and that's fine. But Mm -hmm. it's so much more, it's so much more liberating to know that we can date and we can be together in this space and we can experience each other and learn from each other. And then we can shift and whatever that looks like, as long as there's a baseline of communication and insane communication and respect and, you know, applying and and following the boundaries that exist, this relationship can actually shift into something different. And if that Mm -hmm. turns into just us being friends, then that's that. But I feel that this way, at least recently for me, especially, I feel like this way just takes off these harsh expectations and we can just be even more intimate with each other because there's not this end game. I mean, I've talked on the show a lot about my, the guy that I was dating kombucha and we, that's what I call him kombucha on the show. And, um, we, you know, we did break up and ex, and we thought we were going to be in this monogamous bubble and then we decided not to And at first, you know, we thought we were going to, he thought he was going to have to cut me off and that we weren't going to be able to kind of be friends, be in each other's lives. And now I saw him yesterday and we got to talk about, you know, who he's dating now (laughs) and he's in it. Well, he's not really dating her, but like he's, you know, in these situations and we talk about intimate details of our sexuality and and our and we can talk we can talk in ways that we wouldn't have talked if we were dating monogamously right because we're getting to experience different layers and different sides of each other and does it suck kind of to hear about him being with someone else sure like it stings but at the same time I know our relationship I know our connection is deep and I know that we have an extreme love for each other Mm -hmm. and I know that Eventually, I don't think he's in this situation now, but eventually maybe he will enter into another monogamous relationship and there will be a woman there and our relationship will have to shift in the the boundaries and stuff. But it's like, I want that for him because I love him, but I don't necessarily think that we are going to be in the box of monogamy together but then I also have this opportunity to address these feelings of okay wow you know knowing that you can connect with other people like oh that sting you know and we usually really run away from that and I feel like typically we don't stay in any type of relationship with people that we were once intimate with because we're so afraid of those feelings right we're so afraid of hearing that truth we're so afraid of them moving on but it's like what do I want him to sit there and pine for me do right. I want him to sit there and be sad and lonely and beg for me and, and be miserable? Absolutely not because I do actually really love him, mm-hmm. you know? So it, But now we've entered into this space where we can be just really, really good, intimate friends with each other. And yeah. by intimacy, I don't necessarily mean sex. I just mean being able to talk through life's shit with each right. other and to show up for each other as these people who were once extremely, you know, intimate
0: in a different way. Yeah, I have noticed, because I'm, I'm dating about 20 years ahead of you, is that the guy, because <laughs> I am, uh, well, the guys that I'm meeting now have all been kind of kicked around a little bit. Like, I, they they've all been divorced once or twice. Mm-hmm. They all have some kids. The fact that I don't have children apparently makes me like, 10% hotter than I actually am. <laughs> no, it's hysterical, like, what, you don't have kids? I'm like, nope, no custody schedule. No. <laughs> and, and their eyes just, like, light up. Like, yeah. So nice. <laughs> yeah, so nice. Like, Yeah, and so those guys are, when I say things like, I'm not great at monogamy, they're like, me too, great, high five, okay, because they've been there, and they, they know what happens when a relationship goes stale, but you're yeah. in it for other reasons, because You know, raising kids together is like a whole other thing. Like, I know so many men who are like, yeah, the marriage actually ended about six years before it ended because we had to get the kids out of high school, you know, that type of thing. I'm like, yeah, I get it. Like, (laughs) priorities. Yeah. And so, right now, I mean, because you're 27, and so all the guys you're dating and you are all in one stage of life. In 15, 20 years, it's going to look really different because all your friends are going to start getting married really soon. And then in about 10, 15 years, we are all going to start getting divorced. And then... (laughs) And just to warn you, at least a couple of those guys are going to come around and tell them that they always thought you were really hot. And then that's going to be awkward. And then, (laughs) because that's happened to me. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah, that's the worst. That's awkward. Yes, it is. That's really. Yeah, I've noticed with my mom,
1: especially, and even with, you know, Rachel, um, post-divorce and they're dating these men who are older, they are very detached very detached like they have all this baggage and they want to date but they don't want to get too close because yeah. they're afraid of they're afraid of what they experienced in their marriage right. they're afraid of monogamy so they hold everyone's at, at arm's distance when really you can be intimate and you can get to know each other and you can even love each other and and date mm-hmm. without putting up these walls yeah. because you're so fucking terrified right of this monogamous <laughs> Bubble, this <clears throat> bubble of marriage and, and
0: well, shit. and you know, and we put so much weight on it too. I mean, you're gonna get married and be with that person the rest of your life. I mean, that sounds like a death sentence, Honestly, like depending on how you phrase it. I'm and, sorry, I it, it basically is. Yeah, it, it shouldn't be. I mean, it should be like this <laughs> joyful, happy thing. But you should also be marrying someone that you trust and love enough to be able to keep checking in with each other. Like, is this still working? Yeah, yeah. Like, there's a lot of pagan marriages that. Or like you know, let's get married for a year and see how it goes, and we'll renew the contract in a year brilliant like okay I, mean, you know? <laughs> I, think Mar- I think you should have the uh, option to renew a marriage. yeah, yeah um, actually i kind of think that once you hit like a 20 year point you should be able to go like month to month at that point <laughs> <laughs> kind of like you've done 20 years you're like at this point it's you- a month to month lease yeah exactly
1: <laughs> no but it's true i mean i know i think a lot of people are so afraid
0: to check in they're afraid yeah. to check
1: in because a lot of people don't want to recognize where they've fucked up themselves
0: right and we're afraid of tiptoeing around each other's well feelings. And there's that rejection like so are you still happy here nope i'm not it's like oh god like now we have to deal with that sometimes the status quo is just way easier to maintain yeah and i've watched people maintain status quos for decades and are they happy no (laughs) and they have been in And if you ask them to like, yeah, it's okay. And it's like you are not happy. Like I'm looking in your eyes, and these are not the eyes of a happy person. And and if you get them get the husbands and wives apart, they'll tell you the exact same thing. It's like, why aren't you talking to each other? Like, why do I know about this and not you? Right. And that's I God, I hope I'm never there again. That's an awful place to be. I
1: personally never want to be there. And that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that I'll never find myself in a long term monogamous relationship. Right. But it's certainly going to be conscious and there's certainly Well, I certainly hope if that happens,
0: in. you. this is my, my wish for you and everybody listening and in podcasting <sighs> and if you are in a long-term monogamous relationship, I hope you are there because you choose to be not because you find yourself there. Right. I mean, that's... that's or because used, it's too difficult not to be. Right. And that's usually how it ends up happening. This one day you wake up and it's like, oh my God, I've been with one person for 15 years and I am not happy and I don't know yeah. how I got into this. Yeah, and it doesn't
1: have to be that the person is shit, you know? Right. It doesn't mean that there doesn't have to be you know levels of abuse or misery or no there doesn't have to be all this crazy shit that ends relationships it can simply be we have been together for so long i want to know who i am outside of this right i want to experience life on my own or i want to experience something different and that's okay it doesn't well yeah and when i got divorced
0: from my ex after 10 years together, 12. And I mean, I was trying to explain to my mother because it's like, no, there was no German. He he never beat me. Like, he's an excellent man. We're still friends. It's fine. But it was just the fact that can it just be done? Isn't that okay? Can we just like, just put a pin in this and just call it done? And... In her world, that is never. That's just not what you do. Like you, you write this into the bitter end. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to end up presenting this man. Mm-hmm. And I
1: also don't want to like be wishing death upon him.
0: Exactly. Yeah. You know. Okay. So here's <laughs> a clue. i literally heard that. If happen. you were yeah, if you're in a monogamous relationship of some duration, and you wake up one day and wonder how much easier your life would be if you were a widow, start <laughs> looking for a therapist because that is the. I'm not even kidding. That, that's like the beginning of the okay things are not going well here because
1: the therapist or first maybe a divorce attorney
0: whichever <laughs> one you want to go one of the two but yeah because i know so many women who, have, who are like i had this fantasy that he was just gone and i'm like it's okay like that's completely normal it doesn't make you a bad person it's just like your subconscious it's yeah. just like
1: freedom just yeah. went out so. something in you wants to
0: be free exactly and yeah. listen to that voice and figure out what that is right and, don't yeah. kill anybody exactly yeah <laughs>
1: don't murder don't,
0: but don't change your name and, and get a fake passport in the country but like just nobody there's deserves other to avenues. Die <laughs> here
1: yeah there's other avenues there's right. other avenues to go and to yeah. be free
0: right yeah
1: <laughs> well well with that we are i think that's a great way to kind of wrap this sure, up yeah, okay um any do you have any
0: final thoughts anything to say um about your journey where you're at Okay, so have you seen the movie um, Ten Questions for the Dalai Lama? No. Okay, it's a great little documentary. This filmmaker went to India, to India, Tibet. He was going to ask the Dalai Lama ten questions. And of course, to see the Dalai Lama, you have to wait like a year or so. And so he got on the waiting list and he just like hung out in India for that stretch of time. And he was walking around, he was interviewing people about, you know, India and the the Dalai Lama and their history with China and Nepal and all that stuff. And it's, it's pretty good. But he finally gets to ask the Dalai Lama his questions. And the last one he said was, do you have any advice for just regular people that to just improve their lives? And his advice was, because the Dalai Lama is awesome, was like, if something makes you uncomfortable, just talk about it. Just put it out there. Don't bottle it mm-hmm. up. Because the longer you let it sit and fester, the worse it is. And if we have good communication in the home, then it turns into good communication in the workplace. And, you know, it just it, it spreads out and just makes the world a calmer place and also turn off the light when you leave a room and that would, <laughs> yeah. that is the advice with the Lama. And I think it's a really good way to live. So yeah, I yeah. think communicate environmentalism. Those are important. Yeah, points, so. Totally.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think that that has been one of the biggest things that I've taken kind of from this experience so far Yeah, is fucking communication, yeah. communication, <clears throat> not only between each other, but just, yeah, talking about those uncomfortable things, talking about the things that make you feel shitty, right? talking about your emotions, of your feelings, conflict, yeah. and just getting it out there so it's not I'm, boiling up so inside of us. I am so over small talk. Oh, no, I, I don't have time for
0: that. No. Yeah, I was actually, I was texting with my my friends this morning and I'm like, I, I'm not doing small talk anymore. I was like, what, what is it about you that people keep underestimating me or keep uh, keep <laughs> underestimating about you? And they all kind of went, oh God. <laughs> and I was like, that's a good question. Let's talk about it for a while. It's a good question. Yeah, it's I a mean, great question. I these are the
1: conversations I want to have, you know, time yeah. is a limited resource. It is. And I don't want to spend it just being surface level right. or talking about <clears throat> shit that I don't think matters. Yeah, Exactly. Know? so So, yeah so that that is my my final thought I love that That uh, talk talk about the shit that matters yeah talk about the shit that matters Yep, that is what we do here on the Queendom yes we do Katie thank you so much you're welcome I love this conversation me
0: too let's do it again sometime yeah let's do it again
1: (laughs) All right, Queendom Army I will see you guys next week remember to always talk about the shit that matters and forget the shit that doesn't (laughs) I'll check you guys later